So as Robbie said, it's been marinating in my heart and my mind, this theme for probably since December, and the Holy Spirit gave it to me, actually. But he also has quite independently of that given it to various other people at the same time, and that's always a beautiful confirmation. In fact, this whole idea of at the table with Jesus, that whole theme, um, was just downloaded in the most amazing way at our home gathering last Sunday. Just the sense that God wants to fulfill his promises, even prophetic words that have long ago been on a back burner. That's what he wants to do in this coming season this year. And he also wants to deepen that space with us where we're heart to heart so that he can fulfill those things in a beautiful way in our lives. And um, then through various people and through the worship, this whole sense of the fulfillment of hopes, of promises, of desires, and feasting at the table of his love was just like this heavenly downpour. And I was like, Thank you, God. That was a huge confirmation. Then during the week, globally, um, a friend of mine from Germany, totally different streaming connections, same thing, same thing, coming from different angles, and another message coming, and it's the same thing. And you're like, God, you're also speaking this to your universal body, your church universal, globally, and it's the most beautiful thing. And so I know it's on the Spirit's heart. You know it's on His heart, and that's always exciting. So yes, at the table with Jesus is our theme today. And um, we're going to look at three tables today, but every single one of them is, let's just hold in our minds and hearts that each one of them is the provision of God for us and his call and invitation to us. And I believe that what the Spirit is asking is not for us to just make a mental or even a heart note of these things and think, okay, good, interesting, good. But to actually make a response today, to make a new response to each of these particular tables that we're going to talk about where Jesus is, is present with us. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask you to do that in a very personal way today, not only in our heads, but right all the way down into our hearts and spirits and souls in a way that addresses us and speaks into the very depths of our being. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So three tables. The first one is the personal table that we're going to talk about. I'll just outline the three of them. The first one is the personal table where we commune with him at the table that we set in our own hearts. In fact, we provide, we make the table ready and he sets it. And it's that deep, intimate, personal connection within the space of our own hearts and lives. Second table is where we gather as a group of believers. The table of believers, I've called it, where believers gather together, communing, enjoying fellowship with Jesus and enjoying fellowship and communion with each other, a beautiful space, not only the table of communion, though that's the way we'll celebrate it today, but really all tables where we gather, coffee tables, home tables, picnics in the garden, wherever we happen to gather is a beautiful place where he is present in an amazing way with a corporate 
anointing for us. And it's powerful. He asks us to never forsake the gathering. And it's, it's a powerful thing. I mean, even yesterday, what a beautiful feast table was laid for us at Hamish and um, Taylor's house with the baby shower. It was a gathering. And for many of us, it was a table of, of believers. Um, powerful. Then the third table, the table of invitation. And that is for those not only believers, but also for those outside who don't know Jesus yet. And uh, that is just a big invitation echoing and reflecting the heart of God. So all of these are very, very exciting. Um, I was excited just digging into this over the last while. And um, my husband just prepared a little bit of a presentation of something of the richness, just a little taste, a touch of the richness of his feasting table. It's beautiful. Uh, God has so much for us. Every time we dig into the Word, every time we come to Him and then ask the Spirit what's on His heart, He has something amazing for us. So communing in our own heart with Jesus. Many of us refer to having our devotions. Who refers to it as having your devotions? Devotional time, maybe a devotional book. Come on, anyone have devotions here? Oh, not so many. <laughs> um, well, maybe you don't. It's okay. Uh, and we say, these are my devotions. I have a devotional book. I read the Bible a bit, maybe. I pray. Um, and of course, what is wonderful is to dig into the Word, to study it, to study the context, the different um, translations, the cultural history of the people at the time, the theology of it. It's wonderful. It's very, very necessary. Very, also very rich in its own way. But I want to say to you today that if we don't have times where we're just drawing aside and feasting on the love of Jesus in deep communion with him, there's a peace missing. If we're not allowing the Spirit to speak to us in a heart way, deeply, that penetrates the depths of our souls, in an exchange that isn't monologue, but dialogue, where we're hearing the Holy Spirit speak to us, in the same way that we speak and pour out our hearts to him. This is what he's calling us to in an ever deeper way. The spirit bringing the words from the Bible to life, bringing his own inner voice to us to life. And it being a feasting place where we're literally eating and drinking from his words, from his presence. And it's becoming substance in our life to feed us and nourish us and reboot us, and energize us, and fill us. It's that place of reclining. You know, we were talking about it today. What did that exactly mean? How did it look like? What did it look like? But that place where you can rest, because you're drawing aside, and you're able to partake of His presence in a deep way of communing. And I believe He's calling us back to more of that, Whatever that looks like, whether it's five minutes oases during the day, are feasting with him in that inner place. Feasting, of course, spiritually, physically. Um, it could be physically. I love to combine it with a cup of coffee or something, a snack. But whatever it is, it's that spiritual feast that he provides. It could be the five minutes taken here, there. It could be half an hour. It could be an hour. Whatever it looks like, I believe he's calling us to more of that, to that drawing aside, quieting ourselves putting aside all the distracting busyness, the chaotic cacophony of voices that are all around us, and just resting in Him, 
leaning on him, reclining on his chest, hearing his heart, and drinking and eating and feasting from the life that he wants to pour into us, feasting on his love, responding to the invitation of the heavenly lover. Revelation 3 has a beautiful, beautiful invitation. But before I read that for us, there was a line from a talk that I heard during the week and it has stayed with me because I think there's such truth to it and there's an invitation to us as well in it. Listen to this. God lives in many. He lives in us by His Spirit when we've given our lives to Him. God lives in many, but He rests in few. Oh, the call. Can I find a resting place? in you. And of course, it's a resting place that can be with us throughout the busyness of our days, but it also requires that drawing aside to nurture, to tend, to prepare an ongoing resting place. And it's such a beautiful invitation. I ask you, even while you listen, to just open your hearts to that. Listen to Revelation 3 and personalize it. It was not chiefly meant as a salvation call, that it obviously is a salvation call for those who don't know him, but it was spoken, first of all, to the believers in Laodicea, to the church. And I want us to personalize it for each one of ourselves today. Here I am, says Jesus. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And eat with that person. An invitation, a friendship of deep love, of deep intimacy. Let's just paint the picture too. In Middle Eastern culture, eating together is a means of fellowship and celebration. And you might say, well, it's true of all cultures, which it is in a sense, but particularly the Middle Eastern culture. We share, we dip into the same bowl, we There's an intimacy. And in a spiritual, in a biblical sense, the spiritual um, depth to that is that it's also a place of spiritual intimacy. Metaphorically, it's spiritual intimacy. Deep, deep relationship that's formed. Not a quick interchange. Okay, how are you? Quickly, share me your news. Okay, this is mine. Okay, cheers, we've connected. No, it's a deep, deep entering into a deeper state of relationship and an intimacy with the Lord. So that is an incredible invitation. I want to come in and I want to eat with you. And my prayer is, and if you can, pray that with me in your hearts. Jesus, my table is ready. Set the table. Lay the feast. Come into my heart. The table is ready. The table of my heart is ready. Can he invite us to a deeper intentionality, a deeper awareness of that today? Heart to heart with Jesus, where we can give him the deepest, deepest longings and desires of our heart. You know, when there's true love and trust, you can tell that person what you really, really, really feel and long for. Those deep longings. And 
I felt like it was particularly, we shared a bit of that last week, but I felt like it was specifically for certain people here today, for all of us, and particularly specifically for some, that their deep longings, their deep dreams and desires that perhaps we've had in our hearts, dreams we've treasured, but you'll remember the verse from Proverbs 13 that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Remember that one? And I feel like for some of us here today, there might be hearts that have grown sick. It's just disappointment after disappointment. Disillusionment. Maybe even a bit of cynicism creeps in. And you're just like, oh, you know what, I'm just shutting that away. But I believe that Jesus is saying today to all of us, I want to fulfill your longings. I want to fulfill your desires. But I want you to surrender them to me. I'm laying the table. I'm setting the feast. And I'm doing that with your heart's desires too. And I've got a very childish illustration. You know, Jesus loves the simplicity of children. So I'm going to put down this microphone for a while. And I'm going to say, you come. You put on the table, the shape of your desire. You say, Jesus, look, this is what my dream look like, looks like. I tell you about it. I express it to you. I, this is my longing. And you put it on the table. And Jesus said, surrender it to me. Give up this great treasure of your heart. Give it to me. Because you know what? I'm going to reshape it. Can I do this with one hand? I'm going to deepen it. Thank you, Pet. I'm going to reshape it. Can you trust me to remold, to reshape? Guys, I'm not a potter. It's just an illustration. I'm going to give you a bit of a lip so your life can be poured out. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be deeper very childlike representation of something that can pour instead of just hold. And I'm going to use your life. There's a bit of a lip. I'm just going to pour out of your life in a much bigger way to a greater extent. Thank you, Pet. I'm going to make more out of your dream than you could ever even ask for or imagine. More then you can ask for or imagine, but surrender it to me. Just give it over because I'm going to reshape it. It's going to maybe look a bit different to what you thought, but it's going to be better than you could ever ask for. And you are going to see me do more than you could ever hope to achieve on your own. Think of that. More than you could ever achieve in your own strength, clinging onto your own shape to dream. I'm going to make something better, deeper, stronger, achieving more and fulfilling it in a way that is greater than you could ever imagine. And I believe that at the table with him, he's specifically bringing that to our attention today. And so I want us to pause for a moment and just as I read a verse from the Song of Songs, which is actually the response of the bride to this beautiful invitation of the bridegroom to come in 
and feast and enjoy you and enjoy your heart and reset the table, relay the feast and fulfill your desires as only he can and want and, and the way he wants to reshape them. Let's respond in our hearts. If you can join me in just responding reflectively in your heart to this beautiful poetic description of the voice of the bride. The bride is saying to the Holy Spirit, awake, awake north wind and come south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved, Jesus, let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. The table, the picnic blanket, the reclining on the grass, the setting, the table in the garden of our hearts. Come, Jesus, come. You enjoy me and I enjoy you. I give my deepest, my most beautiful treasures to you. I want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to identify what that treasure, that dream, that longing, that desire could be for you. And just even now, as we pause for a moment to give that over to Jesus, if you can, and to say, God, you know my desires. Would you re reshape it? Would you do more in your reshaping and remolding? I surrender that to you. Would you make it bigger than I could ever imagine? I love the way Robbie started today by saying we're going to, God is going to be glorified because I want to remind each one of us that before anything else, we were created and purposed first and foremost to enjoy the Lord and to enjoy surrendering to him because we can trust him and we know his goodness and we know that what he makes of even our greatest treasures that we tend to want to hang on to is far better than we could ever do. He makes more of our lives. He makes something good out of every situation. He makes all things work together for good to those who've given their lives and are called according to his purposes. And he wants us to enjoy, not to suffer because we Ugh, sacrificing to him. No, there's such joy in the surrender because we know his goodness. We know his heart. We are called to, as in the Westminster Catechism, it says the chief end of man, chief purpose of man is to, those of you who know it, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Do we enjoy him? Do you enjoy him? He wants us to enjoy him. Um, he gives us his joy. He gives us his love so that we can love him and enjoy him. It's so beautiful. Passion for him, intimacy with him, enjoying him, feasting with him, drawing aside with him. Another response of our hearts, if you can join me in your heart saying this, from Psalm 132. Arise, Lord, and come to your resting place. May your priests be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for 
joy, for joy. It's a feast of love and it's a feast of joy. Like Jesus, we want to be anointed with gladness above just all the people out there because we have that heavenly joy and gladness, feasting on his love. The invitation is first him. Picture him from the cross. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. It's not just the Rio statue, although I love that one with the outstretched arms. He's stretching his arms out on a cross and he's pouring out his blood so that we can be saved. And he's saying, I pursue you. I'm always extending my love to you. My invitation is there. Come, come, come. I'm always knocking at the door of your heart. I want to see your face. I want to hear your voice. Respond. It's this open invitation. Respond, respond, respond to my love. And if Song of Songs is just getting a bit too feminine for some of the guys out there, I know you guys. <laughs> Think of men like Isaac who drew aside. It says that in the evening, he walked in the field meditating. Isaac, come on guys, he was the father of nation. Isaac, think of Adam, go right back to the beginning. It was always God's heart. It says in Genesis 3, the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, calling to the man, because they were accustomed to always walking together, communing in the garden. And when Adam suddenly just doesn't appear anymore, he's like, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Let's hear that voice in our lives. Where are you? Where are you? I'm here, Jesus. I'm here. My heart's open. My heart's open. I'm hearing you. I'm connecting. I'm tuning in. I'm drawing aside to feast with you at the table you're laying. Something else that I really feel God is impressing on me is that we need to create those spaces. He's, he's with us. It can be the five minutes in the car, the quick bathroom break. Jesus, here I am. I see my face in the mirror, but you're here with me. I want to connect with you. I want to draw aside with you. But he's also calling us to create special spaces. An oasis, a table where we're present with him in a deep way. So this is the sentence I've written down here and circled with gold because I think it's, it's so crucial. God is everywhere. He's everywhere. He's with us. He's in us all of the time. But... He desires also to manifest in time and space. Think of Eden. He was there, right? But the cool of the evening was a time where the space of the garden, he was there, a time and a space to manifest that special oasis and table of his presence to commune. I just believe he's saying to us, when will you, where, where and when will you draw aside to make that special time of deep intimacy? Where are you? Where are you? Come, come. I want us to tune in to the knocking on our hearts, his love call. And even now, in the moment, give him a personal response. There were three tables, as I said, 
And we're going to end with the second one because we're going to gather around communion and make it part of our worship. But So I want to just jump to the third one. And I want you to think, if you've made a personal response to say, yes, I, I do. I want to draw aside with you, Jesus. I want to be more intentional about that. I want to be more aware of that knocking. Um, I want us to think also just of the random tables in our lives, all the everyday random tables, the coffee shop tables, the cafes, the restaurants where you meet friends, tables in our own home, um, wherever they are, or as I say, parks or outside, whatever, wherever we meet with people, all kinds of people, Jesus is at that table too. Because Jesus is in us, so go figure, he's at the table. And he's saying, be aware of that. Don't forget, Jesus is in you. However many outsiders of the believers, they might not be believers at all, might be people from all walks of life, but you, in you, Jesus is at the table. Be expectant, be aware, be intentional. He's coming into that space to change things. The whole atmosphere is going to change because Jesus is there. You're bringing him to the table. And um, it's so exciting, a call to greater awareness, more intentionally to invite others to meet us at whatever tables, whether they're restaurant tables or, as I say, in cafe spaces or at the tables in our own home. There's a lovely quote by Henry Nguyen that I'd like to read because it really pertains to this. Um, inviting people to share our food and partake of our meals with us. He says that hospitality like this, when we invite people to our table space or we meet with others in our table space, it doesn't imply that we want to change them, like we've got an agenda to not change these other people. He says it implies that we would like to give others a space in which change can take place. And change can take place because they've come to the table where the presence of Jesus is. You've brought that presence to the table. Very exciting. Greater expectation for what he's going to do. You know, Jesus was called a wine bibber. He was called a glutton. He was all, all kinds of things because he regularly met and had meals with sinners like prostitutes, Pharisees, taxpayers, uh, tax well, everyone was a taxpayer, but uh, tax gatherers who were not popular. I mean, people hated the tax gatherers. And they were all taxpayers and they didn't like the tax gatherers. Um, think of Zacchaeus. He, makes, he just expresses the heart of God right there. He was, Zacchaeus was ostracized. He was definitely regarded as an outsider, um, and Jesus looks up at that tree. You remember where Zacchaeus had, Zacchaeus had climbed? And he says, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm coming to eat with you today. A sign for everybody to hear. All are included. Totally inclusive. Whoever responds to the invitation is included. I love it. And I'd just like to consider quickly two meals where Jesus was present, two scenes. The first, Mark 14, describes that meal at Bethany at the home of Simon the leper. Watch this space. At this meal, 
in front of all the people gathered at that table, somebody who has a heart like we were just talking about, responding to Jesus, the greatest treasure. She takes the most excessively costly jar of perfume. She breaks it and she pours it all over Jesus. Extravagant, just this intense, passionate love and gesture. And there too, out of that space in which change can take place, two things manifest. There's the spirit of Jesus, and Jesus says to her, watch what he says, I love it. He says, she has done a beautiful thing for me. And out of her little gesture, look, maybe that was her dream. This was a beautiful treasure she was giving to Jesus. Remember we said, give your little treasure to Jesus. I mean, it cost her a lot. It was a treasure. But look how big he makes it. He says, this, as far as the gospel is preached, she will be honored for this gesture. It's gone down through all cultures, through history. See what Jesus does when we just give him our treasures? When we pour out our love on him, when we surrender our hearts to him, he is amazing. What a beautiful thing she's done for me, he says. Now, these people are not all on the same page. There's something else going to manifest there. Another spirit, all together. There's a horrible attitude of offense behind a religious smokescreen. They're like, what a waste. This is like, this could have given to the big, given to the poor. I mean, this is just not on. Religious smokescreen and behind all this religiosity hides this toxic attitude. And so there we are in that space. All things are revealed. A response to receive what Jesus has. His love to express that. Or to close hearts. And there's another manifestation. It's revealed a space that brings transformation of one kind or another. And um, then the other scene is Luke 14. Jesus at the Pharisee's home again. One Sabbath when Jesus, it says in Luke 14 verse 1, one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. What does he do? It says, straight after that, it says, there was a man who was ill. He had an abnormal swelling of his body and Jesus took hold of him and he healed him. I want to say these tables, spaces, where Jesus is present can be places of healing. Jesus heals him, and then he takes the opportunity to speak into the situation around the table to people's lives. And he says, don't just invite family and friends, though that is wonderful, of course. Don't just invite family and friends or people who are rich and prominent and then you thereby get status. He throws the net wide. He says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. And think, of course, the physical, because there are physical healings that take place all, the, all around at these tables, but think also spiritually, the poor spiritually, the blind spiritually, the lame, the crippled spiritually. And he's like, the feasting places can be places of healing, salvation, transformation. I just want to give a quick testimony. Um, Helmut and I love 
while we actually just love eating any place, any time, actually, with, with our, just by ourselves as dates, or with others, um, we love feasting around the table with friends and outsiders. And we had two incidents where there was a, um, two teenage boys. The one was autistic, and the one had mental health problems. I'm not sure what the diagnosis was, but both of them, they would not make eye contact. They could not connect or speak or make eye contact, maybe just get some food into their mouths, but nothing else. And during the course of a meal, they were not believers, they didn't come from believing families. During the course of the meal, it was like watching a bud just blossom like this. They began to make eye contact. They began to talk. They were talk, commenting on how delicious the food was. They were chatting. They were asking about family. They were like talking so much. You're like, whoa. And by the end of the meal, um, one was open to being prayed for in the name of Jesus. But the other, yeah, was just open to this beautiful atmosphere of what God can do. And actually talking about the light and the peace in the room. Guys, our tables where Jesus is present, they are places of healing and transformation. And I want us to raise our expectations, raise our awareness, raise our intentionality. And by the way, during those times, we were not talking about the Bible or even talking about Jesus. It was the spirit of Jesus, beginning, transformation. And then we could take it from there, you know. So Jesus does end in Luke 14. He goes on to actually talk about the great banquet. And we know that the parable of the great banquet is about, you know, the end of the age and so on. But really, he was encouraging people to make it part of their lifestyle every day, all the time. So we can't just shove it to, oh, this is an end time thing. Not at all. Um, and he tells the story of a man who invited many guests. And all the people that were invited, most of them had excuses. Actually, to us, probably seems quite good. Somebody's died. Somebody's getting married. But he's like, go out. Go out quickly. Go into the streets, go into the alleys of the town, go into the country lanes and compel them to come in. Bring in the crippled, the poor, the lame, all those outsiders. Bring them in, totally inclusive. Just respond. Just let them respond to the invitation. And then he goes on straight after that to telling the parables of the lost, the lost coin. Robbie mentioned the lost, how he goes after the lost the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. Beautiful. The heart of God revealed. Hear Jesus calling. Come home. Come to me. I've given up my life for you. I've died for you on the cross. Come all who are thirsty. Come to the feast. It's prepared. The table is set. The party is on. Remember the father welcoming the lost son home, rejoicing, music, dancing, neighbors, friends, all come. And what a party. Guys, I hope ours aren't boring. I hope we've got lots of rejoicing and music and even dancing. Come on, that's the spirit of Jesus calling, calling, come. And you've heard there are no free lunches for those who want to be street smart, right? But his is free. It's beautiful. It's like come all who are thirsty and hungry. And I just believe his invitation to us today, because it is an invitation. It's not like you've got to do this. It's an invitation. Live my heart. Speak my heart. Be my heart. So beautiful. Alicia, would you come up and play, please just play music in the background? Because the last, the third table now is the table of believers. 
And I'd just like this to flow into our worship time together. We've already said wherever believers meet is a time for fellowship and communing both with Jesus and each other. But this is a particularly powerful time when we celebrate the death of Jesus on the cross because we're sharing in a love feast. Centuries ago, it was actually called the love feast. Uh, We've shrunk it down. We've become casual, and it's good not to be religious about it, but at the same time, it's good to recognize it is powerful spiritually, very powerful. When we feast on this love and blessing, the fullness of the salvation, the healing, the deliverance from sin, the body that was broken so we can be whole, his blood poured out as he died so we could live. It is so powerful. The glorious, awesome exchange of the cross. I'll just remind you of the words in Matthew 26. That while they were eating the last supper, Jesus took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, broken for you. He could have said, Okay, look, this bread is a symbol. It's it's cut. It's broken. But he said, Take it and eat. Internalize it. Make it part of your inner being so it can nourish you grow you, give you life. He said, he held up the cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Not there it is, it's a lovely symbol, looks beautiful, it's my blood. He said, drink it. This is the blood that heals you, that saves you, that cleanses you that sustains you, that transforms you. It's got to go right inside like food. You have to eat it to grow, to be nourished, to be fed, to have life. This is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And we're told in 1 Corinthians 2 how important it is for us to honour and discern the body of the Lord. Of course, the body that was broken that died for us, but also the body, His body of believers. Be in the right spirit with each other, which means, can only mean one thing, being in the Holy Spirit. We can only truly be one when we're one with Jesus. You know, it's not a contrived unity where we're all just religious, hello, oh, hello, we're friends. It's not that. We can only truly be one in the Spirit when we're one with Him. Then we can be one with each other because it's the same Spirit in us. It's not about having the same vibe, having the same interests, being friends. It's far more than that. One in the Spirit of unity and love. Each one heart to heart with Jesus. In that way, heart to heart with one another. Jesus himself prayed for us. He said, I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. The unity of the Trinity is what he prayed for us, united in him and in that way, united with uh, with each other. The love of Jesus poured out for us. God's love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And before 
um, we actually are served the communion to eat and drink of it. I'd like to read and declare verse 5 and 6 of Psalm 23 over us. And I really want it to be seen and heard as a declaration to the unseen world and the seen world. It's so powerful. Communion itself is a declaration. It's like, Jesus, this is, I, I've received you. You're part of my life. You're the part of the innermost part of me. And I have all the protection and the power, the fullness of life in your love and in your salvation, what you've done. But I want us to read it as really, as I say, as a declaration of His power, of His love, of His goodness, His provision, His faithfulness. And I'm going to read it in the plural, if I may. And I'd like you to proclaim it in your hearts also as a declaration over your life and over us as a body of believers here. The overflowing cup of His love and goodness in Jesus. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our heads with oil. Our cups overflow. Surely, your goodness and your love will follow us all the days of our lives. All the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our resting place and our feasting table is in Him. And He asks us to make His resting place and His feasting table in each one of us. And so as the bread is handed out, as the communion cup is handed out, I want you to eat and drink in your own time because I'd like you to just spend some time in just reflecting, receiving that. As you eat and drink, receive also into your spirit with thanks and a time for your own prayer. So we won't eat all together. You just do it in your own time. And while you're enjoying communing with Him in your own heart and responding to Him. I'm going to ask the musos to play and sing the most beautiful song for us. So reflect, speak to Him, commune with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, but also you might want to listen to the words of the song. <laughs>